Uh, I don't know if you would say uh, this is true of you, but I'd say it's probably at least a lot of the time certainly true of me in that uh, I can make things uh, way harder than they actually are. And uh, as I was thinking about it, uh, some of the ways in which I do that, I could trace most of them uh, back to thinking uh, I know something uh, when I really don't. Right. Like it's probably has to do with my pride in certain ways. And then I end up making things way harder than they are. I was thinking of like uh, uh, putting together toys for the boys at Christmas, maybe uh, a couple of years ago. And as I often do, I think I don't really need the instructions. Uh, I can do this. This is pretty simple. And then what ends up happening is I put it together twice because I put it together wrong and then I take it apart and then I make it way harder and then I put it together again. That's a true story. I actually did that with their big wheel a couple of years ago and it was like two o'clock in the morning and I wasn't real happy about it. But we make things harder sometimes when we do that or I've done that before. Uh, I don't want to throw all men under the bus, but I think it's a man thing, not asking for directions like I know where I'm going. I've got this. And then you drive way out of the way and then realize you don't really know where you're going. And so sometimes what happens is we end up making things a lot harder than they have to be. And uh, sometimes if we would just follow clearly like the instructions or the directions or uh, in this case, as I'm thinking this morning, what God's word says, it would actually be easier than the way we make it. And so this morning, what we're going to talk about is we're finishing kind of this short series on who we are and, and what we've been saying when we say who we are is as the church, uh, church universal, that is all believers in Jesus Christ are one church together for putting our faith in Christ and what he's done. And it's by grace through faith and what Christ has done for us. We're all part of the church, whether we go to this local body or the one down the street or the one across the world, whatever it is, we're all one church in that sense. And so we mean that who we are as the church of Jesus Christ, but then who we are as this local body and the ways that we're seeking to live those things out. And so what we've been talking about is different kind of headings we've been putting that under. And so the first week we talked about being gospel centered. We want the, the gospel, the good news of who God is and what he's done in Jesus to, to be permeating everything that we do, the way that we talk, the way that we spend time together, that would all be around the person and work of Jesus Christ and what he's done. Uh, we talked about being disciples. Our definition for disciples is pretty straightforward. It's just growing in obedience to Jesus in every area of our life under the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. And so we want to grow in obedience, growing like Jesus in every way. And then the last couple of weeks, we talked about being a family, that God saves us into his family, that he is our father. Uh, we renounced our rights as his children and our sin and our rebellion, that God goes to great lengths to adopt us back into his family through what Jesus has done. And so now we're saved into a family. We're a family of faith. And then last week we talked about being servants, that in Christ, as, as he's come and he's given us this perfect pattern and example and who he is, and now us being united with him and him living in and through us, that we are now called to go serve people in the way that Jesus served. And so counting others more significant than ourselves, laying down our lives, serving others. And so we've been talking about all these things and how we live those out together as a local body. And today, the last one we're going to talk about is this idea that we are missionaries, that we are sent to be a disciple of Jesus means that we are now sent on mission to proclaim who God is, uh, to make disciples that make disciples. All of this kind of holds together. And so I'm going to talk about that this morning, this idea of being missionaries. But what I often find is sometimes we 
we uh, can quickly convolute it and we can come up with ways why we're not going to do it and struggle with what it looks like and all sorts of things and make it way more difficult than what Scripture actually says. And so we're going to look at those two passages that we just read in Colossians 4 and in Luke 10, and it's going to help us just kind of put some clear direction on what it looks like to be sent, to be a missionary and that identity that we have in Jesus. And so uh, right after the resurrection, Jesus comes to the disciples. Uh, You can read this in John chapter 20. And it says he appeared to them and he says, as the father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then it says he breathed on them and he gave them the Holy Spirit. Right. And, And he empowers them with the spirit to go and be mission on mission to make disciples who make disciples. And that's a big part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is that we are a people that is sent. But I think sometimes we can get uh, where we make it more difficult is who is sent and what does that look like and how do we do it and all those sorts of things. And so that's exactly what we're going to ask as we look at those two texts this morning. First, who is sent? Uh, the second thing we're going to consider is how do we do that or what does it look like? And then lastly, Why? Uh, If we get the motivation wrong, we can quickly get off in all of this and cause all sorts of issues if we get the motivation wrong. So we'll end there this morning. So who is sent? uh, How or what does that look like? And then lastly, why do we do that? And so let's just start with this big picture of who is sent. And I'm just going to tell you up front kind of a spoiler. This is uh, as we think about it. To be a disciple of Jesus means growing in obedience to everything that he commanded, right? And so if we are a disciple who has come down in the lineage from disciples, then that means that we are sent. All disciples are sent on mission. We're all sent to be missionaries. And so that doesn't it's not just for a certain class of people. It's not just for the person who has a calling on their life to go overseas and be a missionary, which we sometimes think of it like that. But all of us are sent, every single one of us. All of us has uh, the person of the Holy Spirit. He is living in us and with us, empowering us to go out and proclaim who Jesus is and what that means. And so all of us is sent. Now, the way in which that looks and the way it plays out in our lives may be a little different. But I want us to be very clear that we are all sent to be on mission. Every single one of us that would claim to be a Christian. No one is excluded from that call. But what happens is we often make excuses as to why it's not really me. Or we we kind of shade it as a way of how I'm not really going to do it or maybe do it a little bit. And we can be really good and creative at coming up with ways on why it doesn't pertain to me. And so a lot of times uh, I think what happens is we look at our own perceived weaknesses rather than who we are in Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we look at our own perceived weaknesses and we go, whoa, that's not for me. Right? I'm not really good at uh, uh, being real outgoing or I'm not real gifted in evangelism or I don't know a whole lot or I wouldn't know what to say if somebody asked me questions or had objections or I'm too young or I'm too old or I don't know that many unbelievers or all sorts of things that we say. And then sometimes we put part of what the Bible says, right? Like Paul's going to say, pray for us as we go, right? And he's talking about himself and Timothy. We'll talk about that in a second. And sometimes we say, well, my part in missions or being a missionary or being sent is I'll pray for the people that are going to go. And that's part of it. We should do that. That's a good thing. But that doesn't exclude us from being sent. 
as disciples of Jesus. But sometimes that's what we do. Or we say, I'll give money to those that are going to go. I'm not going to actually do it myself, but I'll pray for them and I'll give money. And that's great. And that's a good start. But that still doesn't exclude us as being sent. And so those are some of the excuses that we begin to use on why I'm personally not going to do it, but I'll help other people to do it. And so we should be doing those things, but it doesn't mean that God doesn't have a ministry for you to be sent in your life right where he's placed you. But maybe that's not your objection at all on that, because what happens, and I see this a lot today, is we let our culture define whether or not we should even be going. Uh, Our culture today says something like this. Um, It's fine for you to follow Jesus. It's fine for you to be a Christian. It's fine for you to have the beliefs that you have and believe those things, but just don't try to impress it upon anyone else. That's our culture today. That's very prevalent. It's good for you to believe that, but don't try to convert anyone else to believe that. And so there's two things that I would say to that, or I'd want you to at least consider. First is if you claim to be a Christian, Jesus tells you to go. And not only does he tell you to go, he tells you that it's the greatest news that there is and that the longing of every heart of every person that you see in your life is that they need God and what he's done in Jesus. And so the idea that our culture would say it's fine for you to believe it, but you can't tell anyone else is in direct opposition of everything our Lord and Savior says. And so as a Christian, if we're going to grow in obedience to Jesus, we have to let Jesus stand over our culture. But if you come today and you go, I'm not sure I'm a Christian or I'm still trying to figure out what that looks like. And this idea within the culture that you can uh, you believe it, but you can't impress it upon someone else makes a lot of sense to you. And you go, I'm not sure about that. And I don't like that idea of trying to tell other people what they should or shouldn't believe. Would you just consider this? That if we embrace that ideal, right, it's okay for you to believe what you believe But don't tell anyone else that the people that would say that are doing the exact same thing they're asking a Christian not to do. They're trying to impress upon the world around them their worldview and have it stand over yours. If Jesus tells you to go and to alert the world to who he is and what he's done, and someone says to you, no, 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 you can believe Jesus and you can love him, but you can't do that. What they're saying is you can't fully follow Jesus. And you need to change the way you see the world to align with the way I see the world. Now, I don't say that for you to go out and try to win an argument or point that out to someone. But my point is that we all have exclusive beliefs. We all have things that we say are better than other things. And we just need to be aware of that. We all do that. Every single person you meet, no matter how tolerant we say we are or I'm good with all these things, quickly there'll be something they say is better than something else. And we all do that. And I just want you to be aware of that. And so those are some of the things I see very clearly as we step into these passages this morning. I'd like you to at least consider. But let's look at Colossians chapter four together. Again, that's on page 573 if you want to follow along in the pew Bible that's in front of you. And so as we look at this and we start to think about who is sent, I want you to listen to what Paul says here. So this is a letter that Paul is writing Um, It tells us in chapter one, verse one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Right. So this is a letter that Paul is writing with his kind of his disciple that's been traveling with him, Timothy. And they're writing this to the church in Colossae. And so it says in verse two of chapter four, 
continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so I want you to notice there's kind of two parts to what we just read there. Uh, verses three and four and then five and six. Right. If, if you look closely in verse three, Paul says at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word and, and just basic Bible study context. Who's writing who they're writing to? We can quickly ascertain that it's talking about Paul and Timothy, right? Because it tells us that chapter one, verse one, Paul and Timothy to the church at Colossae. So when he says pray for us. I think Paul's talking about he and Timothy who are writing this letter together. And he says, pray for us that God would open doors, that we can declare the mystery of a Christ on the account of which I'm in prison, making it clear as we ought to speak. And if you know anything about Paul and Timothy, both of them uh, were pastors, church planners, evangelists, missionaries, extraordinaire. They went all over the known world, taking the gospel to people that had never heard it before. We still look at Paul as maybe the greatest evangelist that ever lived as he went all over doing this. And he says, pray for us as we're going and doing this, that God would open these doors and we'd be able to boldly declare the gospel everywhere we go. And so he's asking the church to pray for them. And what we know of those two guys is they both have pretty unique gifting. God had placed them in this and they went to all these places we all, I think, if you've grown up in the church, if you know anything about the Bible, you've heard of Paul. There's a lot about him. But Timothy was kind of like Paul's right hand man who went to a lot of these places with him that served and was with him right there in all of this. And he's with Paul and a lot of it. And Timothy was very similar to Paul in some of those things as far as the going and establishing churches, becoming a pastor, doing all these things. And so both of these guys are pretty unique gifting. And you notice that he asked that the church would pray for them, pray that God would continue to allow us to go into these avenues and have these opportunities to do that. And so I said just a second ago, if we're praying for those that are missionaries and sent, yes, Paul asked us right here to do that, to be praying for those that are sent. And they have some unique gifting that's there. But what I want you to see here this morning, though, is is maybe maybe someone here is the next uh, Paul in the sense that you're going to go overseas and you're going to plant new churches or you're going to go to new places where people have not heard before. And I don't want to discount that maybe that is you. Maybe you are the person that God's going to call into a ministry like that. And he's gifting and preparing you in that way. And, and before you go, well, that's definitely not me. Let me just remind you, Paul wasn't a very good speaker. Right. What we know in the Bible is he was kind of timid and he wasn't real imposing physically and he didn't look the part like we would say in our culture today. But yet God used him mightily. Right. But what I want you to see is we can often leave it just there. Those are the missionaries and they go and that's the way we support and that's what it looks like. But I want you to see the second part of what he says here. Because verse five, I think he's now addressing the church, everybody. He asked for prayer for them and their specific ministry. But then in verse five and six, he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, 
making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And I want you to see that it's not just pray for us as we go do this, but then he turns and he tells them what it looks like for them to be on mission right where God's placed them in Colossae, writing to these people, this group, and this is what he says to them. And what I would say to you is that every single one of us is sent. We may not be sent in the exact same way that Paul or Timothy was sent, but we've all been given uh, a ministry right where God's placed us. And we've all been sent on mission to proclaim the goodness of who God is right where God has put us. And he tells us how that looks like. Right. And so when we think about who is sent, I just want to be clear. And this is repeated over and over throughout the New Testament and what Jesus said, we're all sent. Disciples who make disciples, you go and you're you go and make disciples as you're going. And that's all of us. We're all called into that ministry. Now, we have different gifts and different ways we do it. We're not all going to be just like Paul and Timothy. But look at what he tells us, how it works for all of us. Like as he's addressing the whole of the church and he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Again, basic, basic Bible study technique, right? If the letter is written from Paul and Timothy to the church at Colossae, this is read in the church assembly as they get together and they hear that. Who are they talking about when they say outsiders? Those outside the church, right? Those that don't yet know Jesus. And he's saying, so walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Now, I'm really, uh, this is like my spiritual gift, pointing out the obvious, right? This is really, really obvious, but it's so obvious that sometimes we might miss it. Paul says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. So that means that you've got to spend some time around outsiders. You actually have to know people that are not yet believers. It's hard to walk in wisdom towards outsiders if you're not around any of them. Right? It's just assumed here that you're going to spend time around people that don't yet know Jesus. And so he says you will walk in wisdom towards outsiders. And I want you to think about just even what that looks like. As we begin to think of what he's calling us to, he says, walk in wisdom, making the best use of your time. And then he says, let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt so that you might know how to answer each person. And so making the best use of your time, just take the next thing he says, right? So one is that we're going to spend time with people that don't yet know Jesus, at least to some degree. Now, that can be hard sometimes, and I hate to say it, but sometimes the way the church is structured, it pulls us away from that. I don't know if you've ever considered that before. But sometimes the way the church is traditionally structured today in America, what ends up happening is we give all of our free time, our, our third place. Have you ever heard this before, your third place? Your first place is usually your home. Your second place is usually your work. And then your third place is usually where you go the most kind of after that. Hobbies. Um, if, for example, I'll give you examples. My third places right now in my life are the Rock Creek gym because all my boys are playing basketball and I'm coaching their teams. And so three nights a week, I'm at the gym with their teams and those people and a whole lot of people that probably don't yet know Jesus or not in a saving way. Uh, the gym that I go to to work out, I'm there probably four or five times a week. Those are third places in my life. And I'm interacting with all sorts of different people as I go there. But what happens is the church can pull us away from those because the church and getting together with other believers becomes our third place. 
Now, there's nothing wrong. God tells us to get together with other believers. We're supposed to gather for worship. We're supposed to encourage one another. But if it takes us so out of the world that we actually don't know any unbelievers, we're not following the pattern of Jesus in the way he made disciples. Does that make sense? And so we need to think through where we go and what that looks like and starting to go into those places. And so walking in wisdom towards outsiders is, okay, well, how do I do that? Well, I'd say he tells you in the sense of walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. I say this frequently when we start to talk about discipleship and being sent. We're called to be sent, but then the making the best use of your time is helping you see in the things and places you go, beginning to tune your heart to what God's doing around you with those people in those places, making the best use of your time. It doesn't mean that you completely change everything that you do and where you go, although maybe it should. Maybe it should make some changes in that. But as you go, asking God to show you where he's moving and what it looks like and beginning to be aware of every opportunity you have and all the things that you go throughout your day. It's that simple. That's why I say part of it is we make it way more difficult than it has to be. Making the best use of your time. I had a friend that used to say this, and I think it's helpful to think about it. He used to say, I want you to start to practice what's next, Lord. And it's exactly what it sounds like. Wherever you go and whatever you're doing, he'd say, well, if you're going to take your kids to Rock Creek uh, for basketball practice or for soccer practice or whatever, and you're going to be there. He said, go five minutes early and pray. What's next, Lord? Who do you want me to talk to today? Who are you going to use me? How do I use the best use of my time in this place for the next hour that I'm going to be here? And the incredible thing that happens when you really begin to do that and you really begin to tune your heart to what God's doing around you is suddenly you see needs all over the place. And you see people and things that maybe you weren't quite aware of because you're so kind of focused on your own thing. Because here's what happens is the Holy Spirit is the sending agent of God that is on mission to redeem all of his creation. And when you begin to ask, would you show me? Would you teach me? Would you guide me? Guess what he does? He does that. And he alerts you to what he's doing all around you and the opportunities you have. And so it's not a matter of you quit your job and move across the globe to go be a missionary. You open your eyes and ask God to show you what you're doing right in front of me. That God loves people in your neighborhood and at your work and at your gym and on your kids' ball teams and the schools they go to. It's all around you. And so walking with wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time, a simple step is just asking God, what does that look like? What's next, Lord? Who do you want me to talk to today? And then when those opportunities arise, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer each person. What Paul's saying is when you do that, when you walk in wisdom towards outsiders, when you're tuning your heart to what God's doing, when you're asking him what's next, when he's showing you those things, and then you speak graciously and kindly, seasoned with salt, that idea that that it's interesting, salt makes things better. You're speaking the truth. You're saying things in a gracious and kind way. You're asking questions to hear where people are. 
listening to what's going on. And then what he says is what will happen is it will invoke questions. It's pretty easy. We make it way more complicated than that. To, to be aware of where God's moving and speak truth and ask questions and listen to people and it will invoke questions. And he's telling us some basic things, steps that we can do to be missionaries sent in the way God has sent us. But I want to show you two other things that go with that. If you would flip over to Luke 10, we read that just a second ago. Some of the simplicity of Jesus's discipleship making and what he tells us. And we can make it so much harder oftentimes. But in Luke chapter 10, and let me just reiterate the same thing I said with Colossians. You've got him saying, pray for us, Paul and Timothy and what they're doing. But then he speaks to the church. If you're reading through Luke's gospel in Luke chapter nine, at the beginning, he sends out the 12 apostles. And he tells them to go and he says almost the exact same thing he says in 10. And they go out and they're proclaiming the gospel. It says he called the 12 together. Gave them power, authority over all demons and cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. This is the beginning of chapter nine. He sends out the twelve. And then you get to chapter 10. And it says in this and after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out on ahead of him. Two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. I'm going to stop there for just a second. So you've got the twelve which we often think of the disciples that spent all their time, three years intense training with Jesus and everything. But then you turn the page and he's sending out 72 more. If we just had chapter nine and we took out Colossians and the Great Commission and all the other things Jesus says. But if we just had that, we would maybe, maybe could make a case that missionaries are just the ones that are ordained or went to seminary or just did this. Right. But then you turn the page and he's sending out 72 more. And he's sending them out into all these places. And so it just reiterates that point that we're all sent, that it's not just the 12. But then look at what he says in verse two. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet one greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and you, they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. And so there's two things I want to point out to you in that. There's a lot here. But as we think about being sent and how we do it and trying to kind of make it uh, demystify it, it's a little simpler than we make it. There's two things I want to point out to you. And the first is there in verse one where he says he sent them out ahead two by two into every town. So often when we think of this thing of who we're sent to and being missionaries and going on mission because of where we live. In the culture that we've come up in, we always think of it as who am I sent to individually. But what you see is Jesus sending them out two by two, 
You go together into this place and you go on mission. That's our culture. We live in the most individualistic culture in the history of the world. And so always think it's me and who am I sent to and what I'm going to do by myself. Now, God may give people to you in your life of of what that looks like. That you're going to have a personal relationship with. And I'm not against that in any way. But this picture of often of what we see of making disciples is together. Go and make disciples and we're doing this together. And so he sends them out two by two. And I want you to remember everything else we've talked about. We're saved into a family to be servants and to be missionaries. Jesus says, you'll know my disciples by the way they love each other, the way they care for one another. And so one of the greatest apologetics, one of the greatest advertisements for the church is people truly loving each other the way Jesus has called us to and inviting people into that community instead of just one on one. Now, it doesn't mean there won't be one on one, but oftentimes we miss that second part. People are longing for family and for community and to be known and to be included. And it gives this wonderful opportunity as we go on mission together and invite people in to experience that. And so Jesus sends them out two by two. But then I want you to see very practically what he says. Verse five there. Whatever house you enter, first say peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Big picture here. Just the principle of what he's saying. You go and you spend time. And I want you to think about what Paul's saying in Colossians. It's all God's word and it's all inspired and it all goes together. If you're walking in wisdom towards outsiders and you're making the best use of your time. And you're being gracious and you're speaking that way, seasoned with salt. God is going to bring people right in front of you. He is the sending God that is on mission. He's going to place people in front of you and relationships are going to start to form. And the people that are leaning in, the sons of peace that are there, that are wanting to know more. He says, give your time there. If a son of peace is there and they're hearing what you're saying and they're leaning in and they're asking questions, you spend time with them. And you continue to cultivate relationships. And so much of the time, I think we make this way harder than it ever has to be. You go to the people God has put in front of you and the ones that are leaning in, that's where you give your time. And so if you go in and you invite your neighbor to come over for dinner and they keep saying no, no, thanks, we're too busy or whatever. Maybe they just politely say, no, we're not interested. All right. Keep praying for them. Keep being kind. Keep looking for opportunities. But move on. Invite the next neighbor over. And as those people come into your house and they begin to eat meals with you and get to know you, then invest time and pray that God would move. And then he'd give you boldness and then he would give you graciousness, seasoned with salt in those relationships and trust him to do what he's going to do. And there's this relational aspect of what he's calling us into. And it's not that difficult But here's what happens a lot of times is God puts those people in front of us and there's people of peace all around us and we see it and we're doing it and we don't follow through. We're not making the best use of the time. We're not prayerfully asking God, what's next, Lord? What does this relationship look like and where do you want me to step next? 
But I really believe that when we do that and we follow his leading in all these ways, he will bring the people. God's at work all around us. We just need to open our eyes to be able to see it. And we make it so much more difficult than it actually is. And so we start to ask those questions. And so I want you just to think for a second about some basic steps to begin to live this out more fully in your life. And the first thing I would say to you is who are the people of peace in your life? Who has God put right in front of you that doesn't yet know Jesus, but is leaning into a relationship? I think if you think about it, most of you will be able to think of someone pretty quickly that comes to mind. And so then it's say, begin to pray and ask God, what's next? What's the next step to be faithful and gracious and seasoned with salt and making the best use of my time for your glory in my life with these people you've put right in front of me? But if you say, as I think about that, I don't know who my people of peace are. Maybe you say, I'm not spending much time with outsiders. I don't know many unbelievers. Well, my first step for you would be this simple step. Would you pray and ask God who they are? And if you struggle believing that that's true and God's going to work that way, I would just ask, say back to what I say to our missional community group when we're thinking about these things. What are we not believing is true about God? Are we not believing that God is on mission for all of his creation? Because he is. Are we not believing that God has equipped you with everything you need to spread the good news of who Jesus is because he has? Or are we not believing that he can change the hearts of people around us? I know that's true because he's changed mine. I know it's true because I've seen it happen over and over again as God's moving. And so what are we not believing is true if we start to go, I don't know, that's not for me. God is at work all around us, calling people to himself, wanting to use you as part of that. And so the next question I would ask is, who are you on mission with? If Jesus' discipleship was, I'm going to send you out two by two into these places, who are you on mission with? And if you're not sure what that looks like, that's why we say we have missional community groups. Which, by the way, this is a side note. I'm not going to get way off in this. But when we talk about missional community groups, you know why we don't call them community groups or small groups? It's because we want to be on mission together. And we also want to be willing to set aside whatever it is we're doing, a Bible study or community or whatever, to be able to invite people into that. Because we believe God has sent us on mission together. And so I'm thrilled when a bunch of people show up to eat at my house that I didn't know were coming. And we go, you know what? We're going to set aside what we're going to do and we're going to spend time together today. That is one of the most exciting things to me. Inviting people in. I want to see people. I want to see an open door in my house that people are coming and going and they can know that they can come and ask questions. That they're welcome even if they don't believe and they think this is crazy. That they can still come and ask that we want to be missioned together in all things. And so when we're talking about all of this of who we are, how do we do that? We don't do it perfectly. 
But what we're seeking to do with missional community groups is to invite you in that we can go on mission together. That we can grow in obedience to Jesus in every area of our life as servants and as families and as missionaries. And so as we think about all those, I just encourage you to take those steps to get involved in those ways. And if you're not sure what that looks like, Luke and I would love nothing more than to talk to you about how to get involved and how we can grow up in that together. So the last thing here on why we do this, and I want to be real clear just as we end, because this is a very important part. You can easily hear everything I said about being sent and being a missionary and we're called to be sent and go, well, to be a good Christian, it means I have to go out and do these things and get on it. And it quickly sounds like this burden Right. And maybe your personality is more introverted and you're like, this sounds awful. Right. That's OK. Right. If that's that's your natural bent and you go, man, that's is miserable. But this is what it means to be a good Christian. So I better do that. And if we begin to think that way, I have to do these things to prove myself or to be a good Christian or to be uh, however you start to see that. If we're operating that way, that's quickly going to lead to burnout. It's going to lead to using people. It's going to lead to coercion. It's going to lead to being defensive when people kind of push back on what you believe. Because if we do that, we're getting our identity by what we do. And that's going to lead to all sorts of problems. And so I want you to see what Jesus says when these 72 returns. Right. So chapter 10, verse 17, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. That the spirits are subject to you, but you rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And I want you to see what Jesus says. They come back and they are so excited. They go, you're not going to believe what happened. We did just what you said. And we went out and we saw people come into faith and we saw people being healed and demons were subject in your name. And we're so excited about what we did. Look at what we did. Look at the power we have. And and that's one of the temptations. You go out and you share your gospel and you go, look at how many people I saved. And we start to say those things and we start to get our identity from our doing. And Jesus quickly says, don't rejoice in that. You see what he says in verse 20? You rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He says, you rejoice that you are mine. You rejoice because of who you are and Jesus and what he's done for you. That's who you are. Your identity is rooted and grounded in Jesus. You're excited and you rejoice because of what he's done. And notice he says there that your names are written in heaven. Are written already. You're mine and I've got you. And so when we think about why that's so important. The grace that God has given to us in Jesus. He's done what we could never do for us. We are great bought people that is completely and totally what Jesus has done for you. 
and who you are in Jesus and knowing what that means changes the way we operate. That it's all Christ and it's all his and it changes our motivation. You don't go out and go, I'm going to go be a good missionary because I need to be a good Christian. You go out and you share the good news of who Jesus is because you know whose you are. And you know what Christ has done and he is worthy. And you know the way he has saved you and forgiven you of your sins and given you a new life and changed everything. And you can't wait to share that with others because Jesus is that great. Do you see the difference? It's all him. And it all comes back to the gospel. That's why we started the first week with it has to be gospel centered in everything. That it always comes back to Jesus. And so when we go out and we proclaim. And we do exactly what he tells us and people goes, that's ridiculous. You're not crushed. You go, I know whose I am in Jesus and I know what he's done for me. And then when people fall on their knees and say, what must I do to be saved? You go, it's all Jesus. He's the one that does that. And he's the one that's moving. And it points us back to him in every way. So we are sent people. We get to be part of what God is doing. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. We thank you that you have saved us. That you have rescued us. That you have dealt with our sin. That you have brought us into your family. You've called us to serve one another and the world around us. And you've called us to go and proclaim the good news. We pray that we would grow in obedience to you in every area of our life. That we would follow your spirit's leading. That we would trust you in the things that you're calling us to. We pray that we would see as you tell us right here. That there is a great harvest. Uh, that we would continue to pray to you. That you would draw people to yourself. Not because of what it gives us or what it makes uh, that we can be proud in what we've done, but because of who you are, that we want people to know and to love and to rest in you. We thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.